Hi, this is Mike Lacona. I've had the privilege of being on the Deeper Waters podcast with Nick Peters several times over the past few years. Nick is one of the finest interviewers on the internet today. He's well-read and asks the type of questions that bring valuable insights for his listeners. So if you want to get great information from top-notch scholars in a concise package, the Deeper Waters podcast with Nick Peters is where you need to be. You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you further. You step forward little by little, not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls, calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I am Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and apologetics. And this month is April, Autism Awareness Month. And we're going to be talking about autism. And to do that, I've brought on, well, let me just say this. So many times people are coming to me and say, Nick, you've hosted so many people on your show. Who's your favorite guest you've had on? And I've always said, geez, that's... That's really hard to say because there are so many great scholars and such out there. I've had so many. I, I don't know. That question can now be answered, and it can be answered very easily. And yes, I am very biased in this question. But my guest here is someone you've all heard a lot about, but you haven't heard from directly. It happened that we were at a small group from a church and I mentioned getting guests for a show and my wife said honey you've never had me on your show well today that changes my favorite guest my wife Allie is joining us we're going to be talking about autism and Asperger's in our lives and such so uh, honey welcome to the Deeper Waters podcast thanks yeah Allie is extremely nervous about this so, you just bear with us here. Um, um, let's, let's talk a little bit then about how you got here and such. Now, when you were growing up, what was indicating to you that maybe you're different? Um, I guess the way how other kids treated me. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Um... I got bullied a lot growing up. Mm-hmm. Started at a very young age and mm-hmm. went all the way through high school and, and just always wondered, you know, why is it that I seem to be targeted all the time? Mm-hmm. And when I found out late 11th grade um, that, I, that I had Asperger's, I realized, okay, this is why I'm different. This is why I was targeted for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, and there are a lot of people out there who I'm sure can say, well, my kids got bullied or I got bullied and they don't have autism and I don't have autism. What is it that made your case different? Um, I guess 
some of the habits, I don't know. Um, like I said, it, it went on for a very long time, mm-hmm. most of my life. And um, there were other things. I mean, I would say things without a filter. I mm. still say things yep. without a filter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some of my mannerisms, uh, I rock back and forth a lot. Like you're doing right now. Yes. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I'm not very good with my hands, which is strange since I draw a lot. Yeah. But, like, doing small things. Like, like in high school, I took a jewelry design class, and it was the only art class I've ever taken that I had to change classes because I was failing. Mm-hmm. So, I can't really do stuff, like, small stuff with my hands or... Or even playing guitar is really difficult. Mm-hmm. It, it's doable, but it just takes work, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you've also said you had an interesting experience in ballet class, too, didn't you? Was that is that what I'm talking about? With Arbogers and you took the floor and started... Yes, you have to bring that up. Well, it's an example of what we do. <sighs> okay, so I was really little, like five or six years old, mm-hmm. and I was in a ballet class, and... It wasn't really a recital because mm-hmm. it was a really small class, but it was like it was just something to perform in front of the parents. Mm-hmm. And all of us were we were dancing in the circle around in the circle with some song from the Nutcracker. And then I got in the middle, got down on my knees and started pretending I was a lion. Mm-hmm. And I joke and tell my parents that's when you should have known there was something with me mm-hmm. that wasn't quite normal. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about the whole boring thing. I mean, when it, when it's going on, what are you thinking at the time? Um, I guess, why me? Mm-hmm. And I think the sad thing is you're probably thinking a lot of things they're saying are true, aren't you? Yeah, when... Enough people are saying the same thing over and over again, you start to think maybe they have a point. Do you think someone on the spectrum with could respond differently to, to bullying than a neurotypical person would? Mm, possibly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, the spectrum is so wide and yeah. everyone who's on the spectrum is different. Mm-hmm. So it's... It's hard to say how someone would respond. You know, I think it's good to point out that we can be very different on the spectrum because usually it's assumed everyone on the spectrum is entirely alike, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And one of the things that you said that makes us so different is I got the nerdy intellectual side. and you nerdy too, just in a different way. Yeah. But you got a strong emotional side. Which is very different from a lot of people on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's something important to stress also with people out there who get in touch with us that, believe it or not, you are just not interested in apologetics like us, are you? Nope. No. I mean, you realize the importance of it, but it's not something you really care to talk about, is it? No. Mm-hmm. And now, I, I think something that we do have in common also is... People on the spectrum tend to be obsessive with mm-hmm. things and such. 
How are you obsessive? Oh, gosh. Um, it changes. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, for a while, I'll be obsessed with anime. Mm-hmm. Um, mm, my obsessions sort of change. Mm-hmm. They don't typically change for for people on the spectrum, I don't think. Mm-hmm. But for me, they change. And right now, I'm in a period of my life where I'm not really obsessive, obsessive about stuff quite as much. Except mm-hmm. for um, some issues that I'm dealing with. Yeah. But um, other than that, I can't really think of anything right now. Mm-hmm. No. Maybe you can. Mm. Well, let's talk also some about this whole thing about not having a filter as well. What do you mean by that? Uh, <laughs> I say what's on my mind, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not very good at lying, so I usually am pretty honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, sometimes too honest. Right. So... I say things that I probably really shouldn't say a lot of times. Mm-hmm. You can have a very hard time with tact sometimes, mm-hmm. I think. And sometimes social interactions, they can really be taxing, can't they? Yeah. Yeah, I, um, other than, like, on the internet, mm-hmm. if it's in person, like, if we're at a social event, I get overwhelmed very easily. Uh-huh. And so... I um no, I can only be there for like maybe two or three hours and I'm like, okay, I'm done. Now there are some exceptions to this film. We we should explore that some such as when I took you to anime week in Atlanta. Right. You were able to handle things just fine. Mm-hmm. Could you explain a bit about why that is? couple things for one i didn't really socialize with people mm-hmm. <laughs> i just i waited in line for autographs mm-hmm. and i went to panels that i enjoyed yeah. but other than that i had very limited mm-hmm. communication with people mm-hmm. but at the same time when i did communicate with other people i felt like i could be myself around them mm-hmm. because we're all a bunch of anime nerds yeah we all have the same interests and also a lot of us tend to be outcasts yeah to society as well so there's like a mutual understanding. And I think that is something that you and I experience on a spectrum. It's hard to find people who share our interest and want to talk about the things we want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And if it's something you don't really care about talking about, it's really hard to talk about, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, I'll, I'll do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And you talk about being on Facebook. I think I've heard it said, and I agree with it, that the internet has really helped a lot of us find our voice, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I tend to get myself in a lot of trouble on there. Really? But, but uh, I mean, I feel like that's kind of the only place I really have a voice in. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things we should talk about also with, you know, not wanting to be around people and such for a while is church services and oh, such. Mm-hmm. Church services can actually be very hard, can't they? Yeah, but, I mean, you deal with it. Mm-hmm. It, 
if a church is willing to learn how they can better accommodate some people on the spectrum, how they can better approach them and such, what are some tips you think you would give them? I don't know. Like I said, everyone's different. But um, one thing, I guess, would be like the turn to your neighbor and shake their hand mm-hmm. and say, welcome to church or Jesus loves you mm-hmm. or Hey, you look great today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, yes. The, the only thing I like about that is, like I said, I've turned to you and said, we have to greet one another with a holy kiss, remember? Yeah, it doesn't pass with me. Doesn't. Well, I try anyway. I try too hard. <laughs> but and you, you don't like to go on Easter and Christmas, for instance, because... There's so many people mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'd rather live stream. Mm-hmm. Stay home in my pajamas. Mm-hmm. It, it's a whole lot easier to interact with our small group mm-hmm. as it can go to a church where there's a couple hundred people and you're expected to interact with people you meet. Right. And along the lines, when people come up and greet you, is small talk very difficult? Um... Depends if I know them or not. Yeah. Let's say you don't know them. Okay. Is it difficult to talk with someone? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I get very shy. mm Mm-hmm. Well, I've told people, just before I was being interviewed on Kurt Jarrett's show, Veracity Hero, I said, unless I get to know you, if you come up and you start talking to me, I am viewing you with suspicion. At that point, and I don't trust you, and I can often think you're trying to set up a trap for me. Mm-hmm. Are you the same way? Yeah, but I think it's because of past experiences for me. Mm-hmm. I don't trust people. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you've been having to work on a lot lately. Yeah. Because I know you tend to be very protectionist and such. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we should also say that uh, we, we, we've talked some about bullying, and I think we should give a message there that since there are more and more people on the spectrum, that people really need to take an active stance against this kind of thing, because it especially hurts folks on the spectrum, I think, doesn't it? I think it hurts anybody. Yeah. But, I mean, for us on the spectrum... I sounds like we don't know how to handle problems socially and such. It can be harder to defend ourselves, especially in person, from someone sneering at us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd also like to ask something about a. Uh, usually on the spectrum, as I was telling Kurt, we can also have very finicky diets. Now, I know you're having some digestive issues now and such, that we're working on such, but... If that wasn't going on, you'd still say you have an unusual diet, but it's not for dietary reasons, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Could you explain that to us some? Um, I'm very picky. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Um, I tend to be very texture-based. Mm-hmm. I mean, taste and smell are a big thing, too, but... I think texture is the main one for me. Mm-hmm. If I don't like the texture, like like nuts, mm-hmm. I can't I can't handle the texture of them. So mm-hmm. I don't eat it then. Yeah. You know, a lot of our listeners might 
be listening and very, that doesn't really relate to them. I mean, what is it exactly? Do you have any ideas about why it does that certain texture is bother you? I have no idea why. I just know they bother me. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what textures they are that make it that I don't like them. I just know, like, when I have nuts, I'll start chewing on it, and I'm like, I don't like this. Mm-hmm. I don't like the texture of that. I don't like the way how it feels. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do know you are very sensitive to touch, period, anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that that can be a big problem, I think, for some people, because... I mean, I remember when we lived in Charlotte, we had a friend who wanted to come up to you and give you a hug and such every time. And that was very difficult, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Could you explain that some? Um, well, I mean, I think it's more than just the Asperger's as to why. Okay. I don't like being touched. Yeah. Because you have a number of other conditions, but yes. it, it it can be common with people on the spectrum. Yeah, it's it's common with them. Yeah, and you weren't getting along with this person until one day I just took the initiative and called them and said, "Hey, I would like to hang out with you, but she says please don't give her a hug and things like that. It's very difficult." And she said, "Okay," and you all were good friends from that point on, weren't you? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Now on the spectrum, also I think you tend to take. Something different from me, anyways. You tend to take relationships extremely seriously. Mm-hmm. That if you have someone you trust, you want to guard that relationship with everything. And what's it like if the other person doesn't respond the same way? It's really hard. Could you expound some? Gosh, you want me to go on Dr. Phil or something? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess um, it feels like a betrayal. Yeah. And I feel deceived. Mm-hmm. And um, my heart breaks. And when my heart breaks, my heart literally hurts. My chest hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I... Start to wonder, okay, well, who else can I trust? Mm-hmm. And so I I have walls already. I just build those walls up even more and isolate myself from people more. Mm-hmm. And don't trust them more. And that's something that you and I still struggle with to this day, yeah. working to build that trust and such. I mean, to... Give an example, people. We've been married for nearly eight years now, and it's really starting to sink in after all these years that you can trust me. It, it just took a while, didn't it? Yeah. As even me, you've viewed with suspicion mm-hmm. sometimes. Yep. Mm-hmm. That that might seem odd to some people out there here, because they might think, if you have friends, why are you viewing them with suspicion? Because everyone is suspicious to me. Mm-hmm. Everyone is out to hurt me. Mm-hmm. Or everyone is going to leave me in the end. Mm-hmm. Now, these are things that somewhere you probably know they're not true, but it's really, there are times for you, your emotions take over and they go haywire with it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, growing up, I mean, 
your parents loved you and such, mm-hmm. but it was very different raising a child with disabilities, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you, what was it like? How has it been that you came to be diagnosed on the spectrum? What led to that? Uh, basically, in 11th grade, towards the end of 11th grade, one of my teachers, she, uh, she used to teach special ed mm-hmm. at another school, mm-hmm. and her brother happened to have Asperger's as well. Mm-hmm. So with all that, she was able to pinpoint certain mannerisms and you know, different things about me that pointed to autism. Mm-hmm. And we um, we talked to my therapist about it, and she's like, oh, yeah, you haven't. And we were like, well, it would have been nice to know mm-hmm. that I had it earlier on. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what mannerisms this teacher had in mind? Um... Mostly saying things I'm really not supposed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think about the movie Adam, for instance, when he and his girlfriend Beth show up at this party, and they have someone come and say, oh, we have some pictures of a baby. Would you like to see? And Adam just says, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thing you could see yourself doing. I'm uh, guessing, right? I guess, except I like babies. Well, I know, but something similar. Right. Yeah. So, when you get the news that you're on the spectrum, is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? How do you react? I felt relieved because mm-hmm. it explained why I was so different. Mm-hmm. And why all those years I had been targeted mm-hmm. from the for the bullying. Because mm-hmm. they targeted me because I was different. Mm-hmm. And it explained why I was different. I just repeated myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And did this come with any fears at the same time, though? Um, not really. In fact, uh, the high school I was going to at the time when I was diagnosed with it, I told some of my friends, and they were like, oh, well, you know, I, I love you anyway. Mm-hmm. So. And... and uh, you, for the most part, you were able to function in the school system. Yeah. Where and, were you? Um, they didn't have a special ed class there. It was mm-hmm. a really small school, and it only lasted for two years. Mm-hmm. But um, there was a lady who would, who would uh, come and help me out with stuff. Mm-hmm. Sometimes she'd pull me out of class, and we'd talk, and she'd sort of... You know, try to help me with some things mm-hmm. like, like, uh, um, you know, it's just some of the mannerisms I have. Mm-hmm. And how did your parents react to a diagnosis? Um, I don't really remember. I mean, I just remember being pulled out of class once and we went into the office. And my mom was there, a teacher was there, and then this lady who would who would later help me out with stuff. Was I'm there. guessing you were thinking at that point you'd done something wrong and you were in trouble. Yeah, or something was serious. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. someone got cancer or something, yeah. you know, and so I'm just 
sitting there. I'm like, okay, well, what's going on? And, um, and they said, well, we've got something to tell you. You have Asperger's. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I'm thinking, oh, my God, am I going to die or something? <laughs> I've never heard of Asperger's. <laughs> You know, do I only have a month to live? You know, or were you wondering on? if they were at a bar? <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> and so I was like, okay, what is that? And they're like, well, it's autism. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. And my mom was like, well, how do you feel about that? I'm like, well, relieved because mm-hmm. it answers questions for me. Did you know anything about autism at that point? Um, man, uh, I think I knew a little bit, but not too much. Mm. I, I knew it wasn't something to be really worried about. Did you start studying it a little bit more when you found out? A little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember <laughs> I had this friend and uh, I mean, we're not friends anymore. But I remember when I told him that I had Asperger's, I thought it was literally ass burgers <laughs> he just he, he made fun of me for that i was like oh i didn't realize that's what it was mm-hmm. maybe we should also ask this question if you were to describe what autism is to someone who didn't know what would you say oh man um that's a tough one because mm-hmm. <laughs> it could mean a bunch of things mm-hmm. um I guess basically someone whose brain works differently. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, sometimes they're high-functioning, sometimes they're low-functioning. But mm-hmm. generally speaking, they tend to be geniuses. Mm-hmm. I didn't get the genius part, but <laughs> no, gen- generally speaking. But you are high-functioning still. Mm-hmm. And it, it can be very difficult with social cues. And when I was on Kurt's show just now, yes. So if someone gave you a wink or such, would you be able to understand what was going on? So I ask you the same question. If just some person you didn't know winked at you, would you understand it? Um, it'd probably scare me mm-hmm. because yeah. it could mean different things. And um, given my past with people, I would think, oh, man, they're flirting with me, mm-hmm. you know, or something like that. Mm hmm. What was it like being in the school system and feeling different from all the other kids? It was hard, especially since we didn't know why I was different. Mm-hmm. And later we found out, you know, some of my mannerisms, you know, being too honest, speaking when I should, shouldn't, you know, the rocking back and forth. Mm-hmm. I can't look people in the eyes. Uh, yeah. That's a big one. Yeah. But I've worked on that a lot. Mm-hmm. And I I can look at people in the eyes for maybe four to five seconds, and then I can't anymore. Yeah, you're about the only person I can easily look into your eyes with. <laughs> well, but, I mean, it was hard being different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I, for so long, I just wanted to be normal. Mm-hmm. I, I remember just thinking that. I still think that often. Yeah. I'm just like... Why couldn't I be normal? Why mm-hmm. couldn't I have been born normal? But, I mean, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And you just have to set things the way they are mm-hmm. and such. And I think also on the spectrum, we can tend to take things very literally, can't we? Yes. Mm-hmm. I and, don't understand sarcasm. Mm-hmm. Which is very hard because you live with a very sarcastic husband. Mm-hmm. 
has it gotten easier to recognize over the years and such with me at least? Um, maybe sometimes. Mm. I can usually tell when you're lie joking because mm-hmm. of your facial expression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, Jimmy, I don't just outright lie to you. Now, the exception might be like if I've been planning a surprise party for you right. or something, and then I will lie to you, but yeah. not You'll about lie ser- right to my face. But not about serious things. No. Mm-hmm. And what is it then on the spectrum that makes art so special to you? Um, I don't know what it would have to do with the spectrum, mm-hmm. but I just, I draw a lot because I enjoy drawing. Mm-hmm. And I've done it all my life. Mm-hmm. I'm mostly self-taught. I've had some teachers and some classes every once in a while, I may have had three drawing classes in my life. Mm-hmm. Let's keep in mind, also, when we were in Knoxville, you did have... That's including. A, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we, we definitely owe thanks to Anne and Knoxville for, art, for autism mm-hmm. programs and such. Yeah. And you're especially... You especially like the Japanese culture, don't you? Mm-hmm. Why is that? Um, I don't know. There's just something about it. Mm-hmm. I like, I like how uh, respect is a big thing there, mm-hmm. and honor. Mm-hmm. Um, I love anime, mm-hmm. <laughs> anime manga. Mm-hmm. Um, I like some of the history. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the samurai times. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I uh, if I ever went to Japan. <laughs> The city I'd want to visit the most is Kyoto, which uh-huh. is the old capital. Uh-huh. And the reason I'd want to go there is because of all the old stuff. Uh-huh. You know, they've got, you know, you know, geishas there, uh-huh. um, you know, tea ceremonies, and you've got old, uh, old temples. Uh-huh. You know, old shrines, all that kind of stuff. And, and you know, as you're saying this, I'm not only thinking of questions to ask, but I was about remembering certain points, right? If by God we ever do get to go to Japan someday, I'm going to know exactly where to take you. <laughs> now, I think also you're a big fan of Dragon Ball, mm-hmm. and that's because of the Goku character, right? Mm-hmm. Could you explain that some? Explain what? What is it that you like so much about him? Um, I guess I just relate to him a lot. Mm-hmm. And, um, I like martial arts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I've always wanted to learn martial arts. I never was able to, but, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I, I, I like watching it and I like to imagine myself doing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something else that is also near and dear to your heart that we haven't talked about much is animals. Mm-hmm. You really like your animals, don't you? Mm-hmm. Unless they're bugs. Yeah, unless they're bugs. Especially not spiders. Uh-uh. Yeah. yeah. Don't even mention a word around like that. Well, you got to bet we can at least mention a word some. But what is about animals that's so special? Um, well, I guess... 
they're different from people. Mm-hmm. You know, people will backstab you knowingly, and many enjoy doing that. Mm-hmm. Animals, you know, if, if they hurt you, it's a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. They're not doing it to be mean or mm-hmm. because they hate you or something. They do it because they're trying to defend themselves. Mm-hmm. So, and I think you appreciate a lot of the work of Temple Grandin in this mm-hmm. area. Could you tell our audience a little bit about Temple Grandin? Um, well, she has autism, mm-hmm. and uh, she works in a butcher factory, I mm-hmm. believe, mm-hmm. which is ironic, because <laughs> uh, it's hard to think someone working in a butcher factory and yet being a big animal activist, mm-hmm. you know, at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, um... But but I guess it happens. Yeah, and I understand she's had a time where she was giving a talk once where someone who stood up and kept moving around and such, and she just said at one point, can you please stay still? It's very hard when you keep moving like this. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know about that one, but okay. And also, animals have been able to help a lot of people on the spectrum, haven't they? Well, animals are therapeutic in general, mm-hmm. not just on the spectrum. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you have... People who are um, who have been nonverbal for a really long time, many mm-hmm. years, and they may get close to like horses. Yeah, and all of a sudden they start talking. Mm-hmm. Now, before I met you, I had never heard the term hippotherapy mm-hmm. before. Could you tell us a little bit about it? Um. Well, it's using horses as occupational and physical therapy. Mm-hmm. And this is a real legitimate field mm-hmm. studied out there, and it's put forward by real counselors and psychologists and such. Yeah. And I know I've seen you riding horses some and such. Mm-hmm. No, but I've seen it before, and uh, baby, you you never look more alive out there than when you're on a horse. <laughs> That's what my parents have said, too. So what is it about horse riding, you think? I don't know. It's just kind of freeing. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm scared of heights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in fact, I mean, you've worked on a horse farm before. You've managed to form relationships with horses, right? Mm-hmm. You've... Well, not really when I worked. It was more just when I used to ride. Mm-hmm. And some you really liked, and one or two you just didn't get along with, right? <laughs> well... One of those I didn't get along with, didn't get along with anybody, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what about the ones you did get along with? What about them? How, how did that relationship usually work out with a horse? Um, I don't know, I guess they just liked me and I liked them. They trusted me and I trusted them. Mm-hmm. And I would say... I think you know probably more about animals than anyone else I know. Honestly, there, there was still a time I remember when we were in Charlotte and there was either a duck or a goose walking a outside. Goose. Goose. A Canadian goose. And I said, okay, hon, how can you tell it's a goose and not a duck? And you shot off about six different reasons right there immediately. And I said, okay, I'm convinced. And with our own cat... You talk a lot and said, yeah, I think he's part Turkish and Angora. And I'm thinking, 
I've never even heard of Turkish <laughs> Angora. How do you know this stuff? It's a very expensive cat breed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I mean, you do tend to know these kinds of things very well. Uh-huh. I've just done my research, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I think one of what you would say a very happy moment for you growing up was getting a dog, mm-hmm. right? Yes, my little Nessie. Mm-hmm. Who technically now lives with your parents instead. Mm-hmm. But tell us about getting Nessie. Um, well, I had always wanted a dog. Mm-hmm. And my parents always said no. And then one night they're like, okay, we decided we're going to get a dog. And my brother and I, of course, were like, really? Are mm-hmm. you serious? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was probably like 12 years old. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because we got her in 2002, so I was 12. Mm -hmm. And um, we all decided on the name Nessie. Mm -hmm. And my parents had already picked out the breed, a West Highland White Terrier. Which comes from Scotland. Mm -hmm. And that's why you went with Nessie for the Loch Ness Monster. Yep, we wanted a Scottish name. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we went... Because we lived in Virginia Beach at the time. Mm-hmm. We went to North Carolina. Don't remember where there, though. Mm-hmm. And we uh, we went to the breeder. And Nessie was the runt in the litter. Mm-hmm. And so she was smaller than all of them. And I remember she... Um, now, there were a bunch of them in there. And some of them were sleeping. But she was kind of jumping up and down trying to get our attention. And then... I just kind of held her, and she fell asleep in my arms. Mm-hmm. And my mom and I are like, yeah, this is the one. Mm-hmm. So we we took her home, and she kind of slept in my arms the whole way. Mm-hmm. And basically, for that first day, I was her favorite. Mm-hmm. Then the rest of the time, it was my dad. Mm-hmm. Now, I know as you said, she was the runt over there. Did that have something to do with your wanting to pick up that one? No. Mm-hmm. It was just that... Uh, I didn't, I didn't even realize at the time she was the runt in the litter. Uh-huh. You know, she was just excited to see us, and then she just kind of fell asleep in my arms, and mm-hmm. I just felt like, okay, I think this is the one. Because and I, my mom thought so, too. Because I was thinking, you know, maybe it was... was I mean, you because said she was different? She was the outcast, <laughs> and you're used to being the outcast. Oh, no, she wasn't the outcast. In mm-hmm. fact, uh, the people before that got a puppy, before, one of the puppies in the litter before us said... They almost picked her. Mm-hmm. So she wasn't the outcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. And being with Nessie has been very therapeutic for you, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about how? She's a dog. Okay. <laughs> um, no, just animals in general can be very therapeutic. Mm-hmm. You mentioned... Growing up with a brother just mm-hmm. now and such, uh, how has the sibling relationship been for you on the spectrum? Uh, well, we're four years apart. Mm-hmm. You're the older one. Yes, I'm the older one. You make sure you let him know that, right? <laughs> he knows. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was like most sibling relationships. I think it was kind of a love-hate relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um... Uh, we fought a lot, but then if, like, the other one was away, we'd be sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember uh, the first time I was in a mental hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, I, 
I was in 10th grade. Mm-hmm. Um, I, w- I was talking to him on the phone for a little bit, and then the nurses were like, oh, you can only talk to your parents. You can't talk to your brother. And so I told him that, and he gave the phone to my mom, and apparently he was like, what the heck? Mm-hmm. She can't even talk to me? Mm-hmm. And then cried about it. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> It's just kind of a love-hate relationship. But now, you know, now that we're both adults and we're both older, mm-hmm. we get along really well. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's worth pointing out that mental hospitalization, it was for self-injury. Yes. Wasn't it? Yes, self-harm. Mm-hmm. And this is a very real thing a lot of people struggle with today, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Now, I would like to stress, though, that you are in Celebrate Recovery. Mm-hmm. How many months has it been? Seven months. Seven months. This will be the eighth month. Remember, if you're serving eight months free of self-harm, mm-hmm. how, how does that feel? Pretty good. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not the longest yet, mm-hmm. but it's getting there. And what would you say to someone out there who's struggling with self-harm right now? Um... Try to uh, find a program like the 12 Steps to help mm-hmm. you out. Have a sponsor and um, pray about it. And, you know, when you have the urge, tell somebody. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just even before this program, I had the urge. And um, I remind myself, you know, I want that eight-month chip. You mm-hmm. know, you want to have a goal. Yep. And that eight-month chip is a goal for me. Mm-hmm. And I made sure to tell a friend that I was having the urges, too. Mm-hmm. So they were able to help me through it, too. What does Christianity mean for you as an Aspie? Um, I guess that, you know, God made us all different. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know... Psalm 139 tends to be my favorite verse. Mm-hmm. And, but, um, you know, he, he loves us despite how awkward we may be mm-hmm. or how uh, different we are. He made us that way for a reason. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there's a the verse where uh, it says, you know, God use, uses the foolish and yeah. the, or the... the People who the world thinks are foolish. A shame for. Yeah. And such. Yes. Mm-hmm. First Corinthians 1. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was Proverbs. And it's First Corinthians, huh? <laughs> but I notice you place a very big emphasis on the love of God. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you? Um, well... He's always there for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and he uh, he loves me despite my flaws, mm-hmm. despite the things I've done, despite the things I've thought. Mm-hmm. Um, now he accepts me for me. Mm-hmm. So much of the world has hated me all my life, mm-hmm. but he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And... Um, no, it's something that we can't <clears throat> we can't measure, we we can't fathom, we can't mm-hmm. even 
imagine, mm-hmm. you know, because it's it's so much. I think I think if we knew how much he loves us, our heads would combust because yeah. <laughs> our brains could not handle that. Yeah, and I mean. It's easy for us to say it right now, but sometimes when we get out in the real world, it doesn't seem to be as real to us at those times, does right. it? Mm-hmm. You know, when we're in a church service also, you and I can be very different. You can many times really, really get into the music. And a musical person. I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, can we get done with this so we can just go to a sermon and such? You say you're a musical person. Could you talk about that some? Well, I mean, when it comes to church, I'm the whole package. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. I have to have good music and a good sermon. Right. But you get more of a, of a music than I do, definitely. Right. But could you explain about what it means to you to be a musical person? Why does music resonate with you so much? Probably because I'm so emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, music plays to the heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, uh, I know as friends that when we're driving together, you have to have a headset on so you can have your <laughs> iPhone and be listening to all your music, which I 9% can't stand usually. And I'm listening to talk radio, and we're extremely different there. Sometimes I listen to the talk radio with mm-hmm. you. Yeah. And with music... Yeah, I think you listen to it for reasons of empathy and such, right? I don't know. But, I mean, you feel what's being said, and you uh. can resonate, Finn. Mm-hmm. And you're not as alone anymore, because I know so many times you write something and say, I'm really feeling this song. Yeah. And speaking of your writing, let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. And we're going to mention it as a show, but you have a blog, don't you? <laughs> Yeah. Tell us about your blog. Um, well, it tends to be very dark. Mm-hmm. But, um, I try to always add hope in the end of my blogs, no matter how dark they are. That's found in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Because he's the only one we've got hope for. And what is your blog site? Uh, written, I am red.blogspot.com. Because of fun with typos, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> and I, I tell people, I think your blog is an excellent one because you're really not out there trying to sugarcoat things and such. <laughs> you're no. giving an honest look at what it's like for you. That I think if someone is really suffering and such, they can go to your blog and say, by golly, I'm not alone in this. Mm-hmm. Or even, you know, people who are trying to understand, like, you know, I t- I've talked about addiction a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, anyone who's wanting to understand, you know, what it's like to, to be an addict, you know, they they can look at some of those entries. Do you think addiction can relate any to, say, being obsessive, like we can be on the spectrum? Um, I don't know. I mean... Everyone who is addicted to something has Mm -hmm. different reasons for it. Mm -hmm. Some it's peer pressure. Some it's a coping mechanism, a very bad coping mechanism, Mm -hmm. but nonetheless a coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. Um, Mine 
Uh, uh, well, I've got multiple ones, but like the self-harm one, mm-hmm. uh, I mostly do that when I feel like I have to punish myself for something. Mm-hmm. Or if my emotions are just so you know, strong and I feel so out of control, I feel like I need to release them somehow. Mm-hmm. But it's mostly I feel like I have to punish myself for something. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think a lot of Christians look at people who are suffering and think that there must be something wrong with them mm-hmm. and such. I and mean, mm-hmm. what would you say to something like that? It's bullcrap. Mm-hmm. I mean, people have tried to... There have been people who have, when I told them that I struggled with depression, they tried to cast a demon out of me. Right. And... You know, I was expecting to convulse or foam at the mouth or spit pea soup or something, you know. Your head was going to spin like the exorcist. Right. But nothing happened. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, saying because someone has some sort of struggle mentally, Mm -hmm. just because you can't see it physically, it it doesn't mean that they have lack Mm -hmm. of faith Mm -hmm. or... Mm-hmm. That there's a demon in them, or, you know, stuff like that. And I think we could add, if anyone suffered in their lifetime, it was Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone of us could say he was doing something wrong. No, in fact, there were people who thought he was suicidal. Mm-hmm. And people who thought he was demon-possessed just mm-hmm. as much. And I think we could say with faith on the cross that if we get something, in essence... We are getting what we deserve many times. If we got what we fully deserve, we'd be in trouble. Right. But Jesus is the one who, the only person who ever suffered and didn't do anything to deserve it. Mm-hmm. Now, we, there's been a lot of talk also lately in our society with the whole thing with school shootings and such going on. Oh, great. And, you know, mental illness is thrown out there very quickly. Mm-hmm. What do you think when people just say mental illness is a cause of this? It's frustrating mm-hmm. because they just assume that it's someone mentally ill when mm-hmm. really they don't know. It's as if, oh, so anyone who's mentally ill is going to do this mm-hmm. horrific act. Yeah. No, there are plenty of, and I'm not just talking about myself, there are plenty of people who are mentally ill mm-hmm. who aren't going to go kill somebody, mm-hmm. you know? Now, they may want to, but mm-hmm. I think it's human nature to want to sometimes. I think but we can actually, think about, like, when someone's hurt you, and that's been my response. Right, but just because they're mentally ill doesn't mean they're going to go and do it. They, they... There's a quote from The Dark Knight that I like to quote, mm-hmm. and you know this oh, quote yes, by I Alfred, know it. Mm-hmm. and that is, some people just want to watch the world burn, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of times, now sometimes, of course, it may be a mentally yeah. ill person, Yeah, no question about that, Yeah, but there are some people who are just evil. Mm-hmm. I remember calling into Eric Erickson's show here, he, he does his show locally here, and saying that it's too quick to throw out mental illness, and I think it's because our world does not want to deal with sin. And let's face it, many times the problem is sin. Mm-hmm. Now, let's go back a little bit also to animars again here. Nessie was a big animal in your life, and she still plays an important role. But as far as the four-legged animals and such... 
There's another animal. There <laughs> isn't there. My little baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and your little baby is? Shiro. Mm-hmm. Now, what, what kind of dog is Shiro? Shiro is a cat smart one. Mm-hmm. Because you used to not really care for cats, right? Mm-hmm. And I was the cat person. Yep. And I still am. So... How is it we got a cat? I just begged and begged and pleaded and you finally gave in or what? No. We'll tell the story here. We were uh, looking at other apartment complexes because you had lost your job at Walmart. Mm-hmm. And we needed a cheaper place to stay at. Mm-hmm. And so there was this one that we were looking at. And I happened to see this cat outside. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know why, but I fell in love with him instantly. Mm-hmm. And I would ask about the cat, you know, where's this cat from? And they're like, oh, well, the owners moved and they left him behind. And it broke my heart. And I felt like I needed to take this cat in. But, of course, we didn't have the money. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for a while I prayed about it. And I was like, you know, God, just let this cat get adopted somehow, whether it's us or somebody else, you know, Mm -hmm. give them a good home. And I remember even thinking when it would be raining outside, I I feel bad be thinking about him. And, um, and so then we went to visit again just to see him this time. And they, um, the people at the apartment complex office said that they were going to call the pound to pick him up. And it's like, we've got to take him in. Mm-hmm. Because he's an adult cat, and he, um, he's if he's taken to the pound, and he's an adult cat, and I remember he, when we tried to pet him and stuff, he was really skittish, mm-hmm. and so he, um, I mean, he must have been out on his own for a while mm-hmm. because he he was pretty feral, mm-hmm. yeah, and so you know you've got this adult cat who's also very feral, mm-hmm. and. That's not very likely to get adopted out. And when you talk about the pound, usually they put animals to sleep. Yeah. The only thing I'm figuring on is I hadn't lost my job yet. Because as soon as that happened, we immediately made plans to move to Tennessee. We weren't looking for another apartment. But we were looking for a new place because we didn't like the way our apartment complex was treating us and such. And we wanted something better to go to and such. But literally, Shiro just wormed his way into your heart, didn't he? Mm-hmm. I mean, our friend Jenny, and she passed recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, her and I went to see him once, too. Mm-hmm. And she uh, she helped us get him mm-hmm. as well. She helped pick out his name, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's uh, expand for your audience. What does the name Shiro mean? It's Japanese for white. Mm-hmm. He's an all-white cat, so I wanted... Being that I love Japanese stuff, I wanted a Japanese name. And we looked at some, and she thought, well, what about Shiro? She was the one who thought of it first. And, of course, if someone wants to know what Shiro looks like, they could try and look on your Facebook. And maybe after enough scrounging, they might finally (laughs) find one or two pictures, right? I post pictures of him like a new mama posts pictures of her babies. <laughs> and now you post pictures of him. He has his own Facebook page. Yes. He? Shiro the cat. Mm-hmm. And when we first got him, he wouldn't even eat unless you were watching him. Was mm-hmm. he? Mm-hmm. 
we we have a funny story that when we first got him, that I told Allie that she was going to have to do a hold off taking care of a cat and such. And he ran under our bed that first night, scared silly. And we said, what are we going to do? We're just going to have to go to bed and such. He'll eat when he's ready, right? And then, middle of the night, probably around 2.30 or so, we hear, And myself, being the good, devoted husband I am, utter those great words, Honey, wake up, the baby needs you. But you and I both got up, right? Yep. And I think we stayed with him for an hour before we went back to sleep. Okay. But he was able to eat and such, and it took a while, but he has come to learn to trust us, hasn't he? Yep. What difference does Shiro make to you today? Um, he makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, uh, he's therapeutic, and um, uh, he's like he's like having a baby for me, mm-hmm. in a in a sense. Now, some people say, Allie, cats aren't very social, so how does that help you out? Um, well, I mean, he does keep to himself quite a bit, mm-hmm. but there are times when um, I may be in extreme distress, and uh, he'll come over and kind of lay next to me, or mm-hmm. if I'm on the bed, he'll lay on one of the corners of the bed, mm-hmm. and he'll just kind of sit there with me. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes he'll let me hold him. Mm-hmm. Not often, though. Right. Usually he'll scratch my face up if mm-hmm. I do that. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's a good boy. And I think one of our friends has said, and this might go to our, to our food and texture, the touch of a cat is very therapeutic, too, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And you just enjoy petting him. Mm-hmm. When you can. And, of course, you and I know it's always amusing when the subject of food comes up with him. For instance, if you go into the kitchen and you're fixing yourself some dinner, he will inevitably suddenly come out and start whining. Mm-hmm. And we have an automatic feeder at our house. And when it goes off... It's off to a basis. She will be whining at us endlessly... Until everything goes off, and then he's off. And you and I joke that we we could play Need to Breathe's Happiness song at that point because that picture is exactly what Shiro is, is in at that state. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of skeptics about getting a cat when the time came, but mm-hmm. in the end, I think everyone's agreed this was the right decision to make. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how, do do you think having Shiro also helps you with other relationships as well? In what way? That maybe he calms you some, or maybe makes you makes it better able for you to learn to trust people and such. Mm, not really. Okay. And what do you think about this idea that's been said before that all cats have Aspergers? <laughs> um. Maybe. Yeah. I think our cat might have more PTSD than Asperger's, though. Mm-hmm. He, he does live a very orderly routine. I mean, when you and I go to bed, 
every night we look in the corner and he's got a, a kitty bed right there and he's laying on top of it. Mm-hmm. And another place he likes to lie on, a strange place, you've got a backpack. <laughs> and now I don't think you move it, not because you're being lazy and don't want to clean it, but because he just seems to like to mm-hmm. lie on that backpack. Yep, on the back of the backpack. And you've had some faint times when you've been watching uh, YouTube videos like Mark Creelly mm-hmm. doing his some animation. tutorials. What is she doing at the time? He watches them with me. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd like to let everyone know out there, you are listening to the Deeper Waters podcast. I am Nick Peters, your host. And today I'm talking with my wife, Allie, here. It's just a good conversation between two of us that you listen in here, talking about autism and such. But if you're here next week, we're, we're a couple where both of us have, aut- have autism Asperger's. But next week, we're going to have a married couple on where one of them has it and the other one doesn't. And it's someone who's been on the show before. Hugh Ross is going to be back on the show next month talking about his life of Asperger's. And his wife, Kathy is going to be joining us as well to talk about how she helps him out on the spectrum and such. And now, honey, let's start talking about how you and I interact with each other and such. First off, how did I even show up on your radar at all? Mm, Mutual friend. Mm Mm-hmm. What was going on at the time? Um, I had, uh... I had tried to kill myself over my ex-boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it had been an emotionally abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. You never even met him, also. No, I hadn't, but it was it was still emotionally abusive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like, oh well, if I get better, oh, maybe he'll take me back. Mm-hmm. He never would, but I mean, I didn't know that at the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, I got an email from you Mm -hmm. saying that you heard about me from Dr. Gary Habermas. Mm -hmm. And, um, you heard that I wanted a friend. Mm -hmm. So, that's how it started. Now, let me take some things here from my end. I was a student at Southern Evangelical Seminary at the time. And I'd gotten off work, and I met Gary Habermas some. He spoke at our church, and I asked him to help me with confidence issues some, since he deals with doubt, and he agreed, and we'd email every now and then. And I had heard he was teaching a week-long module on the historical Jesus. So I said, I'm going to stop and see him on my way home. So I stop, and I see him. And we're alone in the lobby of a seminary. And he says, Nick, do you know who Mike Lacona is? I say, yeah, of course I know who he is. He debated Bart Ehrman here. And he co-wrote that book with you on the resurrection of Jesus. He says, yeah. Did you know he has a daughter? No, I didn't know that. He says, yeah, well, we were talking about her. I think he said it was him and... Frank Turek and Alex McFarlane, I think. I, I know Frank Turek was back there. We were talking about him. And they started about how you were going through a hard time. And someone in, 
had said that you have Asperger's, and Frank Turek said, where Nick Peters has Asperger's. And so Gary started talking about me and said, hey, I'm going to teach this class. Why don't you come and sit in on it some? I said, okay. And I'd probably go and just sit in for the first half or so, because I had to get home later on my evening, but I sit and listen to him. And I come up to him afterwards and talk to him some, and he says, and he says, and Nick, you know what I would really like? A boyfriend. A boyfriend. Now, when I was emailing you, I was not really thinking of romance at my time. Neither was I. And I heard you were wanting to get together with some guy. Okay, I can help with this. I can be a one. Now, on the other hand, you had looked at my Facebook page. You saw <laughs> me and thought, wow, this is a total stud. This is the man I really want. And forget this other guy. I'm in love with this guy. Right? You keep you, telling yourself that. Why are you looking at me like that? You keep telling yourself that. What were you thinking? He's a total nerd. And you were right, too, weren't you? Mm-hmm. But there was no romantic interest. Nope. I was too focused on getting my ex back. And let's uh, also stress something as well, that there was an age difference, too, mm-hmm. wasn't there? A 10-year difference. Yeah, your birthday is August of 1990 minus September of 1980. But you are happy to have me as a friend. Mm-hmm. And In fact, in the beginning, remember, I used to call you Sensei. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Uh, I'm just now remembering it. <laughs> and I got you in touch with several ladies as well, and we'd have chat sessions and such. And this was around August or so of 2009, mm-hmm. right? Yep. I was so, 19. Yep. So, what started happening here? Um, I started developing some feelings, mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, God, please no. Please mm-hmm. no, I want my ex. Mm-hmm. And, um... So, why didn't you want this nerdy little guy here? Well, other than my ex being emotionally abusive, he was kind of my dream guy. hmm You know, and so, um... I really, I really wanted to be with him, uh-huh. but uh, my feelings for you just kept growing and growing and growing. I fought them off the best I could, but uh-huh. eventually I was like, you know what? I can't fight it anymore. Uh-huh. And so I, uh, I spammed your Facebook because, <laughs> you know, I, I was, I was not subtle whatsoever. No, you so weren't. I spammed your Facebook with all these hearts, I love you, sort of stuff. And uh, now, all this happened, of course, no doubt because of my intense good looks and things like that. You were just drawn to that, weren't you? Keep telling yourself that. What was it, really? Uh, it was your heart. Mm-hmm. You know, you um, you showed me something that I had never seen before in men. Um, you showed me that. You actually cared. Mm -hmm. And it didn't matter how I looked. I mean, I was, I mean, I wasn't thin then, but I was a lot thinner than I am now. Mm -hmm. And so you didn't look at me and think, well, I want her because dot, 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 Mm -hmm. you know. But the the reason many guys would give. Right. And so, um, I mean, I remember one time I was just, I was really upset when we were talking on the computer mm-hmm. and I just got off and, um, 
you called me. Mm-hmm. I answer the phone. It's like, hello, who's this? Like, this is Nick. Nick, how'd you get my number? Oh, I found it on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> Always problems with Facebook. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, it just kind of, I was like, why are you calling me? And you're like, well, you went quiet. So I wanted to check on you. And it's like, wait, is he actually concerned about me? Yeah, because of your past with right, right. suicide. I thought, what if she's doing it again? Right. I mean, things like that. Or, mm. you know, sometimes I snap at you mm. and you wouldn't snap back. And I'm like, why? Why is this? Why, why is he different? And, and something odd about it was, I mean, like we said, with your dad being Michael Kona, you'd grown up in an, an apologetics household. But many times it seemed to be like purely academic. And when I came along... Yeah. There was something different to it, wasn't there? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't just. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't just apologetics with you. It was okay. You know, I. I'm not saying apologists don't care about people. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it was. It was more than just apologetics with yeah. you. And I remember, because I was really angry with God. Mm. I mean, I I did not want to survive from that attempt. And um, getting to know you, I was like, no, I want to have a faith like him. You know, I think when you said you were angry with God, that can get something for a lot of people who are suffering and such. Mm-hmm. That I've had many times where I was furious with them, like shaking my fist and even swearing at him. But you can think, you know, God allowed me to survive a suicide attempt. Why would he do something so horrible to me? Mm-hmm. And then, lo and behold, within about a month or two's time, you're very thankful you survived it. Mm-hmm. And you never would have guessed something like this would have been happening. Right. And I, I like what you said, that the other guy was your dream guy, because technically, we joke about this kind of thing all the time. I am the last guy you would have ever wanted mm-hmm. to be with, aren't I? Yeah. You had all this criteria, and I failed every single one of them. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You always quick to point that out. Mm-hmm. And before too long, also, I was referring to you as my princess. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you were used to being called that kind of thing, were you? Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. So, A lot of other names, but not that one. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember emailing my ministry partner on JP holding some because we started dating on Labor Day. Even though we lived in different states, we hadn't made sure yet. We started dating and I just emailed him and I he'd known I was talking to you and I said, hey, and just so you know, uh, we've decided that we're in a relationship and we're going to start dating. And he said, I knew this was going to happen. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Everybody knew it. <laughs> Now, our first date was in October. And October 3rd. In preparation, you handled things in a calm, rational manner, didn't you? Oh, you know me too well, my dear. So what happened? Um, I got up probably somewhere between 1 or 3 in the morning mm-hmm. just to shower and then, of course, shave. <laughs> probably the world's longest shower, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh... You know, did my hair, did my makeup, mm-hmm. picked out my outfit the night before, mm-hmm. trying to look as perfect as I could. Blue dried my hair because, you know, that that's one thing I I really absolutely hate, and I think it may be part of my Asperger's, yeah. is 
a hair dryer. Yeah. I don't like the feel of it, and I don't, I really don't like the sound of it. But it was worth it. It was worth it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I would, I would eat breakfast and lunch, but other than that, I tried to just sit there as perfectly as I could, so mm-hmm. I wouldn't mess up my makeup mm-hmm. or mess up my outfit, mm-hmm. just until you came at, like, Five in the evening or something. I, I think was on three or so on. Oh. And now, now your your parents, they hadn't been very keen on the ever guy, the ex, and such. No. But they didn't have much problem with me coming, did they? Mm-mm. And we think that's only because I came with Gary's recommendation. Yeah, and my dad had met you once too. And he thought I was an atheist at first. Yes, time. he did. But being that he, I think. I think being that he had met you before oh. on top of oh. you know, Uncle Gary, sorry, Gary, oh. uh, had, mm-hmm. had um, you know, introduced us, basically. Yeah. Um, it made my parents feel more at ease. Yeah, and I, I don't mind you saying Uncle Gary. I could sort of sure explain to the listeners. Allie's grown up with having Gary Happamass around her all her life and such. She's just come to call him Uncle Gary. And it's been a, a term that's stuck mm-hmm. and such because he is like he is like family to you, isn't he? Mm-hmm. So I show up and our first date, I took you to the aquarium here mm-hmm. in Georgia. Yep. And I remember some people are looking at some pictures here and you had me touching a fish out there. It wasn't this, a fish. Well, it was an enemy. Something like that. And one of our friends like said, I knew you two were going to get married as soon as I saw that because she got you to do that. <coughs> right? Yeah. And remember, there was a homeless guy there, mm-hmm. and he, he asked how long we had been married, and mm-hmm. we're like, yeah. it's our first date. Mm-hmm. And I think there was something else that showed that I was different from other guys to you, that you guys, a button had come undone on your blouse. Accidentally. We Accidentally. And as soon as you said it, I looked away immediately while you while you fixed it. Mm-hmm. What's going through your mind at that point? Um, I guess a couple things. One is, oh man, he doesn't want to look, and oh man, he doesn't want to look. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Meaning what exactly? Like, oh well, am I not good looking enough? Mm-hmm. Or oh. He actually really respects me. Mm-hmm. And today, which one was it? The, the latter. Definitely, definitely the latter. And I remember on the way home... At least I would hope it'd be the latter. Yes. On the way home, I ended up playing on my phone via Unbreakable from Fireflight. And you, know, you said, oh, this is my favorite song. I said, yeah, I know. That's why I bought it. <laughs> And I would regularly drive with one hand, and I'd be holding your hand with the other hand. Mm-hmm. And that evening, we watched Beauty and the Beast together, my first mm-hmm. time. The cartoon, of course, back right. then. And there was a funny, it's a funny story that uh, you're, pretty much all the other bedrooms were upstairs, and the kitchen was downstairs where we were next to the living room. Mm-hmm. And your brother was wanting to come down and get a snack. Yep. And your parents said to him, Nick and Allie are downstairs on my couch right now, and they're cuddling. You might not want to go down there. (laughs) 
He never came, did he? No. <laughs> now, it's important to stress when we talk about cuddling. We never did anything immoral together Mm-mm. or anything before we, we married. I mean, we we were virgins on our wedding that day. Such. So, yes, we did keep things pure. And afterwards, after the movie, you and I danced together, didn't we? Mm-hmm. And... We danced to the song Eyes on Me. And you can see pictures of it because you put on this beautiful prom dress and I had this fancy suit and such. And Eyes on Me was even a song played at our wedding. Remember? Mm-hmm. And when I came home, I didn't know this at the time, but I got back and my roommate got to see how I was at the time. And I found out later he talked to another mutual friend of ours and he said, yeah, we need to be prepared to book a wedding shepherd. It's not going to be much longer. And actually, when you de- when you said we were start dating, someone else was predicting a wedding chapel, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Who was it? Uh, Gary's wife. Yeah. They visit every Labor Day, and that's when we started. And you came up and said it. And what did Eileen say afterwards? Summer wedding. Summer wedding. And I took you to meet my parents later on in October as well. And how was that for you? I mean, you'd never gone to meet another guy's parents, and I'd never taken a girl home to meet my parents. What was it like for you? Um, intimidating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But overall, it went well, didn't it? Yeah. And I, I think you and I still laugh now because my parents didn't actually find out about you being in my life until after the first date mm-hmm. and such. And that uh, Angela, my sister, was showing my mom some of your pictures on Facebook. And my mom said, Gosh, she's gorgeous. How did Nick ever get her? <laughs> <laughs> that was a long time ago. Well, I think you're still gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate you saying thank you there. And we started a tradition then with our families that we've kept going. I spent that Thanksgiving with you all, Dan and I. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I'd ever spent Thanksgiving with a family like that because, as you know, Thanksgiving is not my favorite holiday. Nope. I, I tend... I like it. Yeah. That's because you like the food. I'm... <laughs> And you know I'm not a big food person. Right. That's why you're skinny and I'm not. I tend to suffer through it. But I went and I spent Thanksgiving and your parents did treat me like I was practically in some ways part of the family. But at the same time also, there were plans underway that you didn't know about, weren't there? Mm-hmm. Namely, your mother had given me a family stone because she had heard of a grapevine that, yep, I was already planning it. And my roommate at the time had said he was moving out and staying with someone else. He says, I'm reading the tea leaves. I know what's happening. And you're not going to want me around much longer. I said, David, now you and I get married. Truth is, you're not going to want to be around. And, of course, you were extremely subtle about what you were wanting and such, weren't you? Right? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, tell us how subtle you are. Um, like any other girl wants to go to the jewelry stores. Yes, and you wanted to look at necklaces and things like that, right? You are on a roll today, aren't you? <laughs> yes, I am. What was really going on? Looking at rings. You are specifically wanting to get my ring size. And this is another case of and me... And my ring size. Yeah. And this is another case of me being able to lie to you about something. In the sense that I played dumb the whole time when you mentioned a stone that your mother had. Yeah. You didn't even realize I already had it in my possession. Before we go to the next part of our story, I'd like to let everyone know that you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast. Everything we do here is listener-supported by people like you. And I encourage you to go to deeperwatersofprojects.com. There's a link there inside help support for work at Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. You click the link in there, and you get taken to visit Jesus. You've gone to the right place. That's my in-laws, her parents. And you make your donation, and you get in touch with me or her or Michael Debbie, and you say, Hey, I made a donation. I want to give it to Nick Peters. I want to give it to Deeper Waters. And we make sure that that donation does go to us. It is tax deductible. You can also buy some ebooks that I've written on Amazon, like um, A Creed for the Ages, The Apostles' Creed, and Today's Christians, or ones that I've co written, such as Defining Inerrancy, Groundless, God and Natural Disasters. And then another fun way, um, honey, you ladies tend to like jewelry, don't you? Mm-hmm. I, mean, I know you got an allergy and nickel and you can break out, but you still love jewelry, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Guys, most women do. And we have a jewelry store, actually. Our friend Lena Cluster runs it. You go and you make a purchase, and uh, whatever you purchase, 25% of it will go to deeper waters. So, like I tell you guys, you can uh, buy something special to make up that big screw-up that you've recently done with a lady in your life. Or you can buy something special to make up that big screw-up, but I know you're going to make up that lady in your life. And I've had my share of screw-ups, haven't I, hon? Oh, yeah. <laughs> there was a time someone at work asked me once and said, what's the secret to learning forgiveness? And I said, get married. You spend most of your time giving or receiving, and I'll spend a whole lot more time receiving. And if you don't, if you can't do any of these ways, please go on iTunes and leave a positive review of the Deeper Waters podcast. I'd love to see them. I'm sure you want people to donate to Deeper Waters as well. Is there any other organization you'd like to see people donate to? Hmm. I haven't thought about this. <laughs> so just Deeper Waters? Yeah. I don't want to sound like give me money, but <laughs> sure, why not? Yeah, we're poor, okay? <laughs> so anyway, let's continue on our story here. I had spent Thanksgiving with your family, so we had it arranged, and we've kept this going pretty much straight through, that you would spend Christmas with mine, and we'd alternate. And it was your first Christmas away from your family. And yeah, this, it was your first Christmas away from your family, right? Mm-hmm. Now, something you just said to me you want to talk about a little bit was you had a stalker before all this happened. Why do you want to talk about that? Because that's when you proved to be a man. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
So, what's the story on your end? Okay, so I had a friend from high school, and, um, you know, he, um, he, I mean, he was a friend, but I was always a little worried being around him, a little nervous. Um, I could tell he had a bit of a crush on me, Mm -hmm. but I was never interested in him. And so, um, one day I get this text message it was a really sweet text message, and I thought it came from you. Mm-hmm. So I texted back, you know, I love you, da 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 this is so sweet. And then I realized it was actually to my friend, not to you. Mm-hmm. And I felt terrible. So, you know, I called him, and I was apologizing. Like, I'm so sorry. This was meant for my boyfriend. I didn't realize it was from you. No, I'm really, really sorry. Well, uh... I guess he didn't get the message mm-hmm. because he just kept texting me and texting me and texting me all this romance stuff. And it was making me really nervous. And so, I mean, I told my mom and she's like, well, why don't you tell Nick to handle it? Mm-hmm. And you gave me the number to call. Mm-hmm. So I take over at this point. I went outside because I was at work at the time and I called and said, hello. I want you to stop talking to her. Who is this? This is her boyfriend. Now, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a boyfriend. I'm the one she wants. I want you to stop talking to her. She wants you to go away, man. She she loves me. She wants you to get lost. I want you to stop talking to her. I mean, I, I'm no nonsense like this. You know this. And he says, well, look, let's compare ourselves, okay? I'm up here. I'm in New York. I'm working on my bachelor's. What do you got? You got nothing. I'm in seminary. I'm working on my master's, and I'm at the top of my class. Well, uh, my father was a detective, and I, I'll get a restraining order upon you. Go ahead. Do it. I have a restraining order put on you so fast, it'll make your head spin. And that's when the conversation ended. But uh, he, he didn't really bother you anymore after that, did he? Um, well, his dad called. Yeah, months <laughs> later to apologize at Schwarty. Yeah, and then he texted Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but let's get to Christmas Day a little bit beforehand because Christmas Day wasn't the big event of the year then. It was Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. You were flying into Charlotte. I was going to pick you up at the airport and we were going to drive to my parents' house in Tennessee. But I think it was your best ever visit to the airport, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Yep. What's going through your mind as you're flying, getting ready to see your boyfriend? I hope he proposes. I hope he proposes. I hope he proposes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now, when we're at the airport, I know you've been there, but I told you I wanted to see a fountain of Queen Charlotte up there. And Mm -hmm. most of you probably don't know about this airport. It's a fountain. It's got a star-shaped pool around it, continually flowing and such. And you went out to see it. You probably weren't thinking too much about proposal at that time and such. So what happened? Um, you said, how would you like to be a queen? Mm -hmm. And I said, only if you're the king. And you said, well, I guess you make this easy for me then. Mm -hmm. And you got down on one knee and proposed. And you were just so stunned. Mm -hmm. And 
we were both stunned then, weren't we? Because my mm-hmm. cell phone went off at just that time, didn't it? Mm-hmm. And I did the right thing and ignored it. Right. But I think everyone knows you said yes. Obviously. We, we found someone to take our picture. This they was never on Christmas. sent it back. It was on our phone. Well, why didn't I ever see this picture? It's up on Facebook and you can see it anytime. Your mother shared it even. Oh. And anyway, they took our picture. And so you have a picture of us right after we proposed. I proposed and you said yes. And we checked the, the phone then. And I was sure it was my mom because my mom always calls her worst possible times. Who was it? My mom. Mm-hmm. What was she calling for? To let you know that my flight had come in late. Mm-hmm. Can you believe she's been concerned that someday this story would be would be told in in such a way? You know. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But we uh, we drove to Knoxville together. Now the interstate had been blocked by a landslide that time, so we had to go through Northwest North Carolina, Northeast Tennessee. So we had to take the long way. And you were calling pretty much everyone in the world, weren't you? Mm-hmm. And I remember calling David, and I couldn't reach him. David was my roommate. And then I get a voice over a little bit later. He said, hey, uh, Nick, I just want to say congratulations. I, uh, Debbie, Debbie put it up on Facebook already. And, such. and she was not wasting any time. <laughs> now, we also had it all arranged that when I walked in, to a place with you, because we spend Christmas Eve, I mean, my parents have something to get out, but there are two of our homes we go to on Christmas Eve, and a lot of people there, they didn't even know I was dating at the time, they hadn't heard of you, and we came in, your left hand, your ring hand, would be covered in my right hand. Which hurt my hand when you did that. Sorry, honey, but... <laughs> But I, I walk in and say, hey, everyone, um, this is Allie. We've been dating for past about three months now. And as of a few hours ago, she's become somewhat more important in my life. And I'd lift up my hand. And then I'd say, I, di- I dived out of the way for all the women coming up wanting to see that ring immediately. <laughs> and we did this at my aunt's house as well. And you asked my sister to be the maid of honor mm-hmm. because you didn't want to choose between any of your friends. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, then the next few months, it's doing wedding plans and such as me saying, yes, dear. And I'm focusing on all the important stuff. Where are we going to spend our honeymoon and such? So how's the wedding day for you? It was good. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I'm thinking probably using it. This isn't really happening, mm-hmm. right? Yep. I mean, you and I both said, if you came to us on July 24th, 2009, said, a year from now, you're going to be walking down the aisle and getting married. We would have laughed right in anyone's face who said that. Mm-hmm. And our wedding was kind of like a dream wedding. Mm-hmm. And for our honeymoon... We went to Ocean Isle Beach. That, that was some adjustment for you. You've never been on your own before. Right. And now, not only are you away from your family, you're living with a man. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it took some getting used to. Yeah. Didn't it? And you and I have been through 
so much together since then. And you think our relationship has gotten better? Of course. Yeah, I really think so. I mean, what what do you think it's like with both of us being on the spectrum? Um, challenging. Mm-hmm. But rewarding. How is it challenging? Um, I mean, even though we're both on the spectrum, mm-hmm. we're quite different, too. Yeah. So, it can be challenging that way. Mm-hmm. And there are many things you do that make no sense to me, and many things I do that make no sense to you. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the challenge has also been that you're having to live with a guy who is like a guy in many other ways, but doesn't treat you like any other guy does. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think a big change we can talk about, at least on my end here, has been diet. You've had a tremendous effect on me here, haven't you? Mm-hmm. See, as I was saying on Kurt's show beforehand, I used to have it where I would go to a store, buy a tombstone pizza, break it into quarters, and have a quarter every night for dinner. And you changed that, didn't you? Mm-hmm. And you didn't even really have to coax me that much or anything, did you? Mm-mm. What do you think made me... Do that change. You were trying to impress me? Mm-hmm. And I think it's because now that I've got you in my life, it gives me more of an incentive to enjoy my life, girls. I want to be with you as much as I can. But uh, I think we really let people know that uh, I don't keep pizzas in the freezer anymore. Mm-hmm. And you've got me where I can go to Mexican restaurants... I can order seafood at Steak and Shake, and I can go to Subway. In fact, Subway's become one of my favorite places to go to. But you get a pizza sub there. You don't get anything healthy there. Well, it's still a step forward, and I do put some good things on my pizza sub. Yeah, some of the stuff doesn't make sense to me why you would put on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but with Steak and Shake, I mean, when we've gone the past few times, I've gotten the card there. Mm-hmm. Such, but that's yeah. only there for Lent and Easter, so it's not yeah. there anymore. Yeah. And, and there, there, is still, there are still ways you're working on me and such. Mm-hmm. And there's progress, because I mean, everyone looks at me, I think, up there and sees this big, strong, intellectual type and such. But you've seen me many times when I'm uh, like pretty much a complete emotional breakdown and I'm at my worst. Uh-huh. I, mean, I think one of the key examples, and it's something we're still working on, the is swimming pool. the swimming pool, <laughs> that every bit of rationality and logic goes right out the window at that point. So, what's it like being, been, what's it been like, you know, learning to love your husband on the spectrum, especially when you have a past where you've been abused by men? I find it easy to love you, really. Mm -hmm. But it's the trust part that I have hard times with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the things where rationally, I think, you know, Mm -hmm. there's no reason to distrust, but it's still an emotional barrier. Yeah. um, 
I tend to think more with my heart than my brain. Mm-hmm. And I do try to change that. I try to tell myself, you know, he's not going to leave you. Mm-hmm. you know, he does love you. Mm-hmm. He is trustworthy. Mm-hmm. But it's like my heart cannot connect that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think since we've been married, I've seen you become a more logical person in some ways. Mm-hmm. But you've also seen me become a much more emotional person, mm-hmm. haven't you? Mm-hmm. And this is also a way that we have iron sharpens iron between us. Uh, I mean, two cases I can think of. When we were engaged, <clears throat> we went to this dinner at the seminary. And we went there because, you know, we're establishing our own ministry. We need some support, too. And I'm fine talking with the people until the server comes around and offers food. And I freeze immediately. But you say, don't worry. He's not going to eat anything, but he's fine. He's just finicky. And I felt such a huge relief come over me then, baby. I mean, this is someone I can, who can help me that much. And... I think it was last Christmas we read our small group, you know, and you were pushing me to go and have something to eat because I usually just sit there and read a book and such. And I got up, and our hostess, a very nice lady, saw me eating, and she said, Oh, Nick, you're eating. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Could you tell us what happened when you were watching what happened? Um, you were like deer caught in the headlights. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, at first, I thought it was really funny, but then I was like, "Oh wait, this this isn't good. Mm-hmm. This isn't this this isn't him being playful or anything." Mm-hmm. So I tried to explain. You know, he he just he doesn't like being pointed out these things. Mm-hmm. You know, he gets nervous. Yeah, and. Our hostess, like I said, is a wonderful lady, and she and I have talked it out since then. And as I was even saying on Kurt's show that there are times we are celebrate recovery, and I won't go into the food room, and you'll say, why? I say, it's messy in there, because to me, the food looks messy. I, you know, my, my thing with food is, I hate to eat things I think would make a mess. Mm-hmm. And to you, it might not have made sense before, but... Now I think it kind of does. That you've come to understand that that's my own thing I'm working on. Mm-hmm. And how has our marriage been a support to you, hon? Um, like, in what way do you mean? What way do you find it's helped you to be married? Um, helps me, I guess, think outside of myself. Mm-hmm. It does require you have to give and think mm-hmm. of another person above yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have to, uh, it's not all about protecting myself anymore. Mm-hmm. And that if anything did happen to you, that there are consequences, and this time it's to someone who's directly right there with you and cares about you in a very unique way. Mm-hmm. What would you say maybe to someone out there who's listening who they're either on the spectrum or maybe they have kids who are on the spectrum and they wonder if they're, if love will ever come around for them? 
I tell this to people, and it sounds very cliche, Mm -hmm. but you're not going to find love. Love finds you. Mm -hmm. Because if you're out looking for it, you're not going to find it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not to say there's anything wrong with going out dating. No, no, but it's like when you're out looking for it, like I was, Mm -hmm. you're not going to find what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. It'll come when it's ready. Mm -hmm. But... People out there on the spectrum, they're, they're not in a hopeless case, are they? No. They can love and they can be loved. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it, it's much more incredible on my part with the loving because, I mean, I've never really known what it means to give of myself to someone else so much. And now I can't picture a world without you in it. I mean, you're the love of my life, baby. You're mine, too. And I think people know when they see us together that we're crazy about each other. Mm-hmm. And something to have with uh, protection such earlier. Uh, I've joked about several times that there seems to be an unwritten rule on my Facebook and your Facebook. People can disagree with you. People can argue with you. Okay, but... If they dare insult you, it's not a pretty sight, is it? Nope. What happens? Um, you get really ticked off. Mm-hmm. And I show up and I show it. I mean, you even had a friend who was a soldier once who was scared of me. Mm-hmm. And, she, and, and to me, and that just means so much because I'm supposed to protect you as well and care for you. Too, and I want you to always feel safe with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think anything in our marriage is very different from other couples because of being on the spectrum? Um, I'm sure there is. Mm-hmm. But being that I have no experience with that, <laughs> it makes it kind of hard to compare. Mm-hmm. What's it like for you when we're talking with other couples? Do you relate to them, or does it seem like they're having a different life, or what? Mm, it depends. Mm. You know, if, like, if they've got kids or grandkids, and yeah, I can't really relate to them because they're in a different time of life than I am. Mm-hmm. But mm. if you mean if it's like another couple, another young couple or something like us. Mm. Um, sometimes I can relate, sometimes I can't. Sometimes they have issues we don't, sometimes we have issues they don't. Mm-hmm. What's it been like being on the spectrum? Because we're very resistant to change, that so something have to go over change with living with someone who you're not family by blood with and someone of the opposite sex in a married relationship. What's that been like? Um, it was scary at first. Mm-hmm. I mean, on our wedding night, I think I cried and called my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, because I got homesick. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's fine now. Mm-hmm. I mean, did it take a whole lot of adjusting to get used to and such? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so. Mm-hmm. 
So, and everyone was listening, if you heard something, the final member of our family just came in, little Shiro here, and such, oh, little boy, as we call him, and such. And he's leaving. And let's also say something else, Mother, is that you and I did wait until our, our wedding and such. What would you say to especially young girls out there who are thinking they don't want to wait until their wedding? It's worth the wait because I came close a number of times and I'm glad I didn't give in then. Because mm-hmm. cool. if you give it in to the wrong person, you can't take it back. Mm-hmm. And you're also glad you didn't even give in to me. Mm-hmm. Until then. Yeah. Why is that? Um, well, you never know what could happen. Mm-hmm. You know? We could end up breaking it off. Mm-hmm. And I still wouldn't be able to take that back. Mm-hmm. Or even if we didn't break it off, I could have died in a car accident or mm-hmm. anything like that and such. Yeah. And um, it wouldn't have been very honoring to you or to God. Mm-hmm. And well, you and I both definitely, that was a temptation, but I'm really thankful we never gave in to the temptation. And I think especially on mine, it, it's important to show you guys out there, it can be done. I was nearly 30 before I get got married, and I meet some guys and say, I'm not sure if I can wait that long. Says, How old are you? 22. Get out of here! Okay! <laughs> and... and I mean, I think the thing is, you've never seen me, or seriously, I think, as a guy who would just use you. Right. I mean, we go back to that first date when you had that button undone, and I looked away. It wasn't because of disgust. I think you know that now, because mm-hmm. I love any chance like, I have to see you, but because I wanted to honor you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think we live in an age where... Women, they they often think the only way they can get a man is to just use their bodies and give in immediately. But any man who would do that, that's not really the man they want to be with, uh-huh. is they? No. And, and what what do you think we're we're both working on? Right now, and such being on the spectrum and being a married couple, mm, me together, yeah. <clears throat> um, I guess building trust mm-hmm. on both sides. Mm-hmm. There are times when you're untrustworthy, and there's times I'm untrustworthy. Mm-hmm. So I'm just building that trust, I guess. I mean, I think it's important for listeners to know that we are a happily married couple, but we have our fights and squabbles like any other couple, right? Mm-hmm. And we disagree on things until I realize that I'm wrong and then I come back. <laughs> Tip to men out there. Women are always right. Mm-hmm. But we do have our, our struggles and we're very different in many ways. Like, when it comes to money, it's usually said in a marriage, one person's a saver, one's a spender. I'm a saver. You're a spender. And we can sometimes clash on that, can't we? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when it's come to things like your birthday or Valentine's Day or our anniversary, I've been more than willing 
to be romantic. Mm-hmm. And what would you think to say to all these people out there who think that, like, people who are nerds and such, mm-hmm. they can't be real romantics? Mm, they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what role do you think Christ plays in our marriage, hon? Well, hopefully a center. Mm-hmm. Front and center. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you and I even have many routines together that usually when someone's in a need and you say we should pray for them, we usually do it right then and there, don't we? Mm-hmm. And what's our nightly routine? We read the Bible and then we pray. Mm-hmm. And I make it a point, I kiss you every day. Mm-hmm. And I tell you I love you every single day. Mm-hmm. And those kinds of things, they can't be said too much, I don't think, or done too much. Because, you know, I, I have this, you know, many guys, when they marry the woman they love, they take them for granted. Mm-hmm. And you know the kind of guy who comes home from work, sits down on the couch, gets the remote, asks for dinner, be brought to him, doesn't really interact with his wife, and, you know, strangely enough, she's not really wanting to be romantic in the evening for some bizarre reason, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's ever been the case with us, has it? Mm-mm. That we've both learned to give to the relationship. And, and you've... Do you think you're a better person for being married? Mm-hmm. How so? Well, like I said before, I uh, I think outside myself. Mm-hmm. Or at least I try to. Mm-hmm. I'm not perfect at that. Mm-hmm. And you didn't know me as well, but do you think marriage has been a blessing for your husband as well? I hope so. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, me of our friends have said that, uh, that they've known me before and they've said that I'm much more, you know calmer about things now. I'm tamer, down to earth. I'm not as crazy as I used to be and such, which could be pretty hard for some people because I think you still seem pretty crazy to us right now. Mm-hmm. Crazy love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, I'm thinking also about just now about when we got back from our honeymoon and we went to our church to give her a first Sunday. You'd done something to hurt your leg. And such. I don't remember what it was. But you couldn't be in the main room. Mm-hmm. You were in the back room watching the service on a TV. And it was a communion Sunday. I remember mm-hmm. it very well. And for me, it was a great honor because when it came time to distribute the sacraments and such, I brought mine, brought them back there to you and personally gave them. To you. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was a huge honor. You know, it, it showed that we're a family unit. And does it seem hard to believe still this day that you really are with a man who loves you? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's still, you're still skeptical and such, but. Mm-hmm. It really is starting to sink in. Mm-hmm. And what does it mean to you to love and to be loved? Um, 
still learning. Mm-hmm. What do you think it means now? I don't know yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I said, mm-hmm. I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. And does it, does it mean so much to you like it does to me to know that we have a covenant together and mm-hmm. it's not changing? Mm-hmm. And, you know, something I know us also is we do interact with other people in many ways as a couple. I noticed when I was single, my friends I'd hang out with were single friends. Mm-hmm. But now we're married, we tend to hang out with couples a lot more. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I remember last year some we had a refugee from ISIS. ISIS? Iris. Iris. <laughs> Dang. From Iris staying with us. And we... The main thing I wanted to teach him was about the good marriage... To have me, even when I had to go to the dentist, even though that was two hours away, he came with me. And I said, because it's not good for you to be alone in my house with my wife like that. And we went to bed at night. We go to our bedroom, and it was clear, this is our room. Don't come in. Stay on the couch. What advice would you give Aunt Fair to women who are planning to marry? Um, protect yourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't give in. You know, uh, don't let a man pressure you into doing something that you don't think is right. Mm-hmm. And what would you say to the current wives out there? Gosh, you put me on the spot. I can't think of these answers quick enough. (laughs) This is what I do in my interviews. I ask for hard questions. I know. Uh, I guess I would say... No. Stay strong. Mm -hmm. Stay strong with your love with your husband. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important to point out based on what I just said... When she came in here ready to be interviewed, and this is the first time we've done an interview, it's not over Skype, she's just right next to me, she had no idea what questions I was going to be asking. None of this is rehearsed. I think it's pretty obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Which is rare, because, you know, I don't have a history of surprising you with anything at all, now do I? Why are you giving me that glare again? Anyway... Yeah, well, I believe it was her 25th birthday. You were so upset that you weren't going to get to have a party with your friends. And honey, we don't have money. We just can't afford it. I ended up taking you to the mall. And there the church office was a huge surprise party for you mm-hmm. for your birthday that I've been working on for weeks. And I think you are the only person in the church who had no clue whatsoever about it. Yeah. And right now you kind of hate me for saying it, don't you? Mm-hmm. But I think it's things like that that have gone to show you just how much you are loved and treasured. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are getting near to our time here. And I, I know I've already asked this kind of thing before, but if people want to get to know you more and find out more about you, do you have like a blog, an email, a website where people can get in touch with you? Yeah, it's W R I T T E N I M R E D dot blogspot.com. Mm-hmm. And do you have any final words you'd like to leave for Medieval Warders audience? Peace out, y'all. <laughs> well, Princess, thank you for coming on. And I think you are saying you are going to come back here again sometime, aren't you? Yep, in September. To talk about suicide. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it's been wonderful having you on. Definitely the best-looking guest I've ever had on the show. That's where flattery. <laughs> never. My flattery will never end. And I'd like to remind everyone, next week, we're going to have a mixed marriage. An Aspie and a neurotypical Hugh Ross and Kathy Ross coming on. For now, I am Nick Peters, and I am signing off. It all started with a small-time dream. Hold a conference in a church. With a small budget, could we afford to bring in a Christian celebrity speaker? And with an ear to hear more than just the same canned messages, do we want to? With these two questions, The Mentionables were born. We found the best under-the-radar Christian apologists that we could find. Writers, podcasters, and bloggers. Their voice was small, but their message was huge. On May 18th and 19th, The Mentionables will be appearing in Greensboro. Head out to Greensboro Christian Church and hear this grassroots phenomena in action, featuring talks and a great debate. Head over to thementionables.org to get your tickets, or call Greensboro Christian Church at 336-621-5226. The Mentionables. Small-time voices, big-time noise.